Gail asked me this morning to read Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together all the satraps, the administrators, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, and the magistrates. And all the officials of the provinces came to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it 
was usually heated, and he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair on their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Zach, can you pray for us?
Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Hallelujah. Welcome here this morning and good morning. I looked out at your faces and I saw some of my friends I haven't seen for a while. And that really does my heart good. Welcome to worship this morning. We've come here today just to exalt the name of the Lord. We've come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've come for a fresh anointing of his spirit. And we've come to be illuminated by his word. How much better does it get this side of heaven? For those of you who were not here in the opening this morning, Brother Connor held before us the thought of what is the meaning and the purpose of life. And I wanted to comment on that just a little bit. You know, I think it's just really pretty simple for a believer. The purpose of his life is one, to glorify God. That's why he was created, to glorify God. And the meaning of life will have no lasting meaning until my life is surrendered to God in relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty simple answers, but a lot of men struggle with that for a long time. Do you feel like that life gets more intense as the days go by? For Daniel and his contemporaries, life got quite a bit more intense as they lived in Babylon as the days went by. I would submit this to us, that as evil multiplies, life that is deeply consecrated to God will increase in intensity. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of my heart. The word exposes, the word illuminates, the word motivates my heart and soul. So this morning, we just want to let the word speak to our hearts. We are going to maybe start out a little bit different this morning than sometimes we do. I want to read, for us to read together, I guess. I'll read them. You read along. Four passages of scripture. And if you have a pencil and paper, I want you to take that out. And if you don't, I want you to make a, a mental mark in your mind. As I read these four different scriptures, I want you first, number one, to put your own title 
to each of those scriptures. And number two, I would like for you to put the response of your soul and heart after each one of those scriptures, after the title that you put to them. First scripture that I would like for us to turn to, to read together, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'll give you just a little bit of time to put your title and your response to that scripture. The next one we would like to turn to is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Just going to read the first four verses here. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of the Lord is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now we're going to go back to the first book of Thessalonians, chapter 5. And just read the first three verses there. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh to the thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape.
Last portion I'd like to turn to is in Revelations. Revelation 19. Chapter 19 of Revelation. I'll start reading at the 11th verse. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes are as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on, his, hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I don't know what you have written down, but I'm going to submit to you that these are four events. The rapture of the church, the rise and development of the Antichrist, the tribulation period, and the physical return of Jesus Christ to reign on the earth. And God, in his sovereignty, is moving toward all four of those events. Now, I'm not a prophecy student, and I would not attempt put timing on those events. But there's one thing I do know for sure, that God in his foreknowledge knows the exact time of all of those events. We go back to one of the verses that we read. It had a phrase in it like this. As travail upon a woman with child. You know, I think all of us know that shortly before a child is born, there are strong contractions of the womb and they increase in intensity. And not only that, they shorten in timing between them. And I don't think we have to be real intelligent to see that that's the way God is working in the time that we are in. And this scripture, the ones we have read and some that follow them very immediately, say that some men are aware of those contractions becoming stronger and less time between, and some men are not. The Bible records the responses of men that some will view that with complacency and indifference, some with surprise, alarm, and fear, but some with hope, with joy, with peace, and with rest.
about 20 years ago, Shirley and I had a privilege to invest a little time in the state of Hawaii. And one of the highlights in that time was a tour of the memorial at Pearl Harbor. Two soldiers were on duty in the mobile radar station clear up at the north end of the tip of Oahu on a Sunday morning early. They picked up on their radar a signal of a large group of aircraft that were approaching in formation from the north. And so they immediately communicated with Headquarter Information Center and they got this response. Don't be concerned about it. We're expecting a squadron of our own planes from California and it must be them. And you know what the result was. The result was disaster, devastation, and death. Don't miss the warning. Don't miss the alarm and be alert. The burden of my heart this morning is this, that we are to remind one another of the events of the day, of the signs of the time, and not to miss that warning and to be alert. I need to anticipate and be mentally and spiritually aware that the enemy will strike and that he may do it suddenly or possibly gradually enough as to dull my awareness. Paul wrote a couple letters to Timothy and in about the middle of one of those he wrote a verse like this. He said, Yea, and all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that's my text verse this morning. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Obviously, not every believer has given their life at the stake. Some did, and we may. Persecution takes on a lot of different forms, and we'll let you work that out in your mind, what all of those are. For a title for the message this morning, I want to use this. Do not be surprised by persecution. Don't be surprised by persecution. This verse says that it shall be. It don't say that it might be or if. It says it will be. It's a sure thing. You know, we live in a fast-changing world. But I take a great comfort and consolation this morning that Jesus Christ does not change, nor does the gospel change, nor does the message of the gospel change. The gospel was meant for all generations, and it is timeless. So what's happening today? Pluralistic lifestyles, aggressive secularism, unthinkable things, etc., etc., etc. You just fill in the blank. 
But you know, as all those things happen, there's something else that's happening. Christians are becoming a despised minority. Christians are becoming a despised minority. I'd like for you to study the 17th and 18th chapters of Revelation. You'll see there that the illustration is Babylon. The world system with a spirit against God, against his people, against what he is and all he stands for. Our Bible studies have been in Galatians and we want to turn back there. You don't have to if you don't want to. I want a couple of verses out of the fourth chapter of Galatians. Verse 28 and 29. Now we, brethren, as Isaac, are children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so, it is now. On a kingdom level, the spirit of Antichrist will attempt to destroy the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Where the Holy Spirit possesses the hearts and souls of believers, and he will also attempt to destroy the temporal kingdom of Israel where God has proclaimed himself in his name. On a more personal level, those in community, the church, Christians possess the Holy Spirit and represent an eternal power within. Jesus Christ in person, within. He is in control. And this goes against all evil spirits. Even the natural spirit of man that is determined to run his own life without God says that I am the final authority on my life. And he is reminded that he is accountable to God and he wants to rid himself of all that would challenge him of his own control. And this includes the Christian. Don't be surprised by persecution. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Now we're going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, 15th chapter. We're going to start reading in the 17th verse. John 15, 17. These things I command you that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. 
Those verses describe two completely opposite groups of people. One of those groups of people love the Lord and they love each other. The other group of people hate the Lord and they hate those who love the Lord. A division. No neutral ground in those scriptures that we just read. Either one group or the other. And the group that hates the Lord are going to persecute the group that loved the Lord. That's what that verse says. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. Don't be surprised by persecution. You know, the again, the book of Timothy, where Paul wrote to him, he said that evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived themselves. And then Peter writes words like this. He says, in the last days, there's going to be scoffers who walk after their own lusts, and they're going to say that since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And then he says, really, these men are willingly ignorant. They are willingly ignorant. They have ignored the warning. But then he says, to those of you who know who I am, he said, you are to be holy, you are to be steadfast, and you are to grow in grace. Don't be surprised by persecution. So I want to make just a few points about how I am to embrace persecution. The first point that I would like to make is that I must possess a power that is greater than my own and a power that is greater than the enemy if I am going to embrace persecution. You know, I think about our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was all God, he was all man also. And he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. And he was tempted out there of the devil for those 40 days. But the word tells us how he got his strength and where it came from. It said in the Gospels that he was filled with the Holy Ghost, that he was led of the Holy Spirit, and that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And over and over again, he used the power of God's Word. The power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's Word. It is written. Well, again, we're going to read another scripture. You won't have to turn there. But this scripture is out of the first epistle of John, the fourth chapter. 
Hereby we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof we have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Now this is the verse we want. Verse 4 of chapter 4 of 1 John. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, all of those spirits of Antichrist, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have that spirit within to overcome. Well, let's think of another verse here. This one comes out of Hebrews. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part in the same. That's Jesus. He took part in our flesh and blood, that he through death might destroy him that hath power over death, that is the devil, and to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the person of Jesus Christ, we will be free from the fear of death. That's what that scripture tells me. You know, uh, go back to the morning lesson Brother Josh read to us. And thank you for that, Brother Josh. I appreciate all of you young people who are participating in the kingdom. It's just a wonderful encouragement to me. You know, those three young boys were in that fiery furnace but when the king looked in there he saw four in there he saw jesus in there right along with him and he'll be there every time he says that he will so to face and embrace persecution i will need a power that is greater than my own and a power that is greater than the enemy To embrace persecution, I must have a faith that considers it a blessing. A faith that considers it a blessing. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are they, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. And be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You know, as I read the book of Acts, I see that the apostles, as they preached the power of the name of Jesus, the power of the cross, and the power of the resurrection, they were incarcerated and they were beaten for that. But you know what they said? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to.
to suffer for Jesus, to suffer shame for his name. And they went right back out just as soon as they got out of incarceration. They went right back out into the temple and they went right back into every house day by day and they continued to preach and to teach in the name of Jesus. Would I consider persecution, have enough faith to consider that to be a blessing to rejoice in? Those which were before us, the last part of this 12th verse says in the 5th chapter of Matthew, I'd like for you to go home and study the 11th chapter of Hebrews. The 11th chapter of Hebrews tells us of those who chose to suffer affliction as the people of God. They were tortured. They were mocked. They were scourged. They were bound and imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were slain by the sword. They were destitute. They were tormented. And they were tempted. And that's just part of the list that's there. I'd like for you to think about that word tempted a little bit. You know, I think that probably has to do with our mind. A mind a battle of our emotions. I'd like for you to picture yourself for a minute how you would respond to some of your family. Let's just go close. Some of your children. Let's say that, that your children were mistreated or slain before you. You were, you were forced to watch that. You think that would be a pretty big temptation in your mind? How would I respond to that? Could I rejoice in the Lord that those individuals were going immediately into his presence? How's my faith today? That chapter goes on to say that persecution is a blessing that the world is not even counted worthy to experience in. It is a privilege only for faithful saints. Pretty sobering, isn't it? Another scripture we'd like for you to study is 2 Corinthians 11. You can read about Paul's persecution there, and he says that if there is anything that he would glory in, if he needed to glory in anything, it would only be the things concerning his infirmities. And I want to say this. There are two points here with persecution that happened in the lives of the apostles and the Old Testament patriarchs. Persecution spreads the church and the gospel, and persecution glorifies God. The last point I have on embracing persecution 
I think maybe for myself at least, is probably one of the most important. I must know that I've already died. I must know that I have already died. I'd like for you to turn in your, in your Bibles to the first chapter of Acts. Acts 1. Just want one verse here, eighth verse. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. The word we want out of this verse is witnesses. You know that word in this verse? The word witness comes from the word martus, and it's the same word that we use for martyr. A witness is a martyr. In essence, when I came to Christ, named his name, came into his kingdom, became a part of his church here upon the earth, I already died and am alive in Christ Jesus. And in reality, natural life in the body, separated from the soul, could be expected at any time for the Christian who is witnessing for Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. In reality, today, natural life in the body, separated from the soul, could be expected at any time for the Christian who is witnessing for Jesus Christ. True Christians in the spirit are always a martyr. God's sovereignty is at work. We read on in the book of Acts about the Apostle Paul's life. And he said there as he approached the time that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he said, I have preached to the Jews and to the Gentiles I have witnessed repentance toward God. I have witnessed faith toward Jesus Christ, and I've had a joy as I've preached the gospel. And then he went on to say that he didn't count his life, natural life, dear to him, and he wanted to finish his course with joy. So he was going to Jerusalem, and he knew he would be martyred there. You know, I think it was probably about this time when he probably finished up writing his letter to Timothy. And he wrote some of the same words. He said, I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, and I've kept the faith. Fought, finished, kept that 
is a mountain to die on. There was another verse I wanted to read, and I think I'll go back there to it, that I missed when we were in John 15. And you don't need to turn there, but it's the next few verses in John 16. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time will come that whosoever killeth you. And so persecution wound up in giving of natural life. That's what the word says here. Whoever killeth you will think that he did God's service. These things will they do unto you because they have not known me or my father. That's what happened to Paul. That he had fought, he had finished, and he had kept. And he died on the mountain of witnessing for Jesus Christ. You know, it just surprises me how many different mountains men want to die on to preserve a system or any other kind of thing. But there's one mountain to die on. That's witnessing for Jesus Christ. So life will indeed get more intense as we move forward. The Bible says that we live in an adulterous and sinful generation. You know what? God is faithful and Jesus Christ is able. You know, I think about Jesus when he uh, taught, gospel records this. He said, uh, if a man wants to live his life on his own and not surrender it to me, he's going to lose it. But he said, if a man will witness for me, give his life for my sake and the gospels, he will save it unto eternal life. I want to close with just a benediction of a couple of scriptures here. These scriptures follow some of the first ones that we read to start with where you were to put your uh, title behind. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're children of the light. And children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, but let us be sober and watch. You know, I think again of another verse I want to leave with you. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. May the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ radiate through your heart to all that you meet. God bless you. Sing a song.